coming up illicit romances girls taking chances and white linen pants also some weird shit i don't even think i can explain it's probably best that you just listen we're counting down the five movies you watch in hell all this month so pucker up sunshine it's time to kiss the goat let's consider the horror movies that delve into the supernatural realm with a particular focus on demonic activity candle for the sinners set the world on fire live laugh and love and remember all those times that you only saw one set of footprints that was when i was carrying you the circle is closed and no one may enter or exit without the express written permission of nancy shire this is episode 45 of kiss the goat and welcome to it i reckon we should explain what's going on here please do We've spent four years talking about some of the most horrible, morally reprehensible movies in existence. <laughs> oh, yeah. You mean like that time you tried to justify liking the Lords of Salem? That was hilarious. My points were valid. That movie is awesome. Uh-huh. Sure. Like, you know, if somebody has slammed a car trunk lid on your head a couple hundred times. But we didn't feel like we were pushing things far enough. Nope. And you know, we've always been the kind of folks who find the line and then piss all over it. So we asked ourselves, selves, how can we push Kiss the Goat right over the edge into a self-consuming, wretched oblivion, writhing in the cold embrace of the abyss? The answer was simple. Chick flicks. Now, please don't think that X and I are against love in the classic sense. By the time this month is over, we will have been married for eight years, and there's no end in sight. We love each other, and we actually like being married to each other. These things are true. Love is wonderful. Until Hollywood gets a hold of it. And then it's pure rancid garbage. Look, you see all these fucking romance movies and rom-coms that Hollywood shits out of its golden asshole and all the menopausal women and sorority sisters go flocking to them on opening weekend with tissues in one hand and a glass of Pinot Vaggio in the other. Pinot Vaggio? These people don't understand that there are underlying themes to these movies or plots that aren't on the surface, and that these movies, which seem so sweet and innocent in the previews, are potentially the most subversive evil movies in the world. 
Wait, Pino Veggio? So we've chosen five films to represent the final five circles of hell, just as Dante intended the Inferno to be. These are the five movies you watch in hell. Now, you may have a hard time dealing with this episode, but believe me when I say we're starting off easy. And by the time we hit the fifth movie of October, which will be the final level of hell, you're not going to believe what you've been through. Sulfur, brimstone, fire, physical and emotional pain, and lies, lies, lies. Pino Vaggio? We have far more important things to discuss. (sighs) All right, guys. So we've changed the entire format of this show for October. We're here to celebrate love in all of its many forms, the different facets of desire, the surprisingly simple ways that two people can fall in love and find a forever home with each other. Lies. Lies. It's too late. They're already here. The goddamn pod people are already here. (laughs) We'll be back after this with a brand new segment of the show specifically for October. Hang out for The Breaking Point in just a second. Liars, bastards, writers of Lifetime movies! Have you ever looked at a movie and said, what the hell is that? How could a movie with that low of a budget? Corny acting? Cheesy special effects? Or is that strange of a plot even be worth watching? Well, have I got the show for you. Join me, Matthew Angry Ginger, for the bad, the weird, and the cheesy. I'll be bringing you on a journey through cinema's oddities. I will cover all genres of film, and hopefully shed some light on why these films are worth watching. Track down the bad, the weird, and the cheesy podcast on Facebook and on Podbean. Welcome back to October on Kiss the Goat. Now, where we would normally run the Get Your Exercise segment, we are titillated to present to you a new segment just for this month. Think love's going to last forever? Think you've met your soulmate? You're out of your fucking mind. You've met the most evil rat fink of your whole life, and you, you touched them on their private areas and flipped their dinkies around like a paddle ball from the flea market and rubbed circles around their beans like an Amish grandmother making a sweet and tender Sunday (laughs) dinner. Ease down! Jesus, it's just a new segment. Hey everybody, here's the breaking point with our Kiss to Goat True Crime reporter Aaron Sunday. I think it's time that we start talking about a divorce. I need a divorce! Yeah, sign these. I'm leaving. And I want a divorce. What, you're saying what, you want a divorce? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, maybe I do. Well, I'm an adult man, And I don't need any of this. I don't need this stuff. And I don't need you. I don't need anything except this. And I'm telling you, that's the only thing I need is this. I just want to be left the hell alone. Are you asking me for a divorce? I have to preface this by saying, uh, there, I love, I love this first set of killers. Like, that sounds really bad, but I love them. It's good to have, it's good to have favorites. There's a lot of weird, sick people out there. And it's not that I love who they are, but I love knowing about them. If that makes sense, I like figuring out, like, why they're fucked up. That seems, it seems like you're the perfect person for this particular job, then. Well, good. So, you want to hear a love story? Yes, tell us a love story, Aaron. Okay. Well, David and Catherine were just two kids from Wattle Grove, a suburb of Perth, 
in Western Australia. It was the 50s, right? Tons of closeted, fucked up shit started happening, at least there, um, where it was hush, hush, right? It's a semi-rural town, and it's full of seemingly okay, happy, well-adjusted people. David and Catherine were 12 whenever they met through mutual friends, and things clicked. By 14, they were in love. And like any 14-year-olds in love, they had lots of sex and committed crimes. So obviously I need to explain some things. <laughs> would probably be best. So, both of them had shit home lives. David's dad was an active, like, active in the Baptist church, but no one wanted to talk to him because he had, like, a severely curved back and stuttered so badly that people, like, just would walk away mid-conversation because they were frustrated with him. So nobody liked him. Bendy back hair lip. Bendy back hair lip, yeah. Yeah. They didn't like him, and uh, people in church like are supposed to be all friendly and stuff but they were kind of they kind of pushed him away and the mom uh she had to stay home because he worked long hours they had five kids the mom was an alcoholic she chain smoked and just treated the kids like shit when she decided to acknowledge them wow so, this sounds like an episode of like lowered expectations we've got bendy back hair lip and mom the abuse of alcoholic Right? The only and, thing. And still five kids. Still yeah. five kids. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so she would just spend all day sitting around, just drunk out of her mind. And she had had a baby. And so she made all of the older kids take care of him. So much so that even as a baby, if he just made a sound and they didn't try and help him or see what was going on with him, she would like beat them. And as he got older, instead of trying to teach the child not to do the things, she would punish the other kids if he, like, fell down and hurt himself or broke something. So he was like, wow. you know, normal babies of the family get special treatment. This kid, he could do whatever he wanted. So, like, David had a horrible family, right? And uh, they eventually went into the state's care. Catherine... Who, Catherine Harrison, um, she had a really tragic start. Her mother died whenever uh, she was giving birth when Catherine was two. So she lost her baby brother and her mother within two days. And her Aww. father, her father sent her to live with her very strict maternal grandparents. Because uh, he just didn't want to deal with her. So mm. uh, then he came back and fought for custody of her when she was 10. So all of this back and forth, you know, caused feelings of abandonment from a very young age. And she felt unwanted. So she was always a really desperate person, very willing to please. So by the time these two got together, they were instantly going to be a dangerous pair if they stayed. You know, it's pretty obvious. So starting yeah. out, they were in involved in petty crimes um, and David obviously had power over her. Their crime progressed to where Catherine ended up in jail. And so this screwed up all of her plans to do whatever. Uh, David had always told her, oh, don't worry, you won't get in, in any trouble. You'll be fine, you know. So when she went into jail, she was like, uh, hell no. And she 
decided to leave him whenever she got out and she became a housekeeper and the family kind of adopted her in and then she eventually married one of the sons and had seven kids with them. David also got married and had a child and he went in and out of jobs and uh, eventually he was always breaking and entering into these places so he'd get fired but on one of the jobs he got a head injury and so it brought it messed with him so he was already fucked up and now he's actually like even more fucked up and he uh he started getting uh like they say he was becoming more of a sexual deviant he um was still married and would sleep with dozens of women every year uh and eventually even it got to the point where he finally moved in one of his girlfriends who was 16 years old into his home with his family made the child give up her room so that he could put the 16 year old in there and made the child sleep in with the mom so naturally they left so wow so so wait let me let me get this straight so so he was already fucked up enough and then he had like this like brain injury like physical trauma thing yeah so he's married he's got kids and he's like you know what i don't care about y'all i'm still gonna fuck around with all these other women and then one day he just decides oh you know what i really like this 16 year old that i've been banging so i'm just gonna move her into my house with my family right and well and also there's speculation there's not a guarantee that this is a fact but there was you know how small towns gossip right yeah sure So there was speculation that the mother was, um, because the mother slept around, she would like pay off um, like taxi drivers and stuff with sexual favors and the kids would be around seeing this, right? Oh my God. I know, I told you there's a lot of crap dealing with these people. So anyway, (laughs) this is why I love them. It's such a great story. Uh, But anyway. Um, so there was talk about maybe the mother having eventually sexually abused the children. So that could be where it's coming from, but there's no proof. Uh, and given, given the way that the family situation was, it's kind of the perfect storm of things that probably need to happen for that to be the situation. Mm-hmm. But again, it was the 50s and it wasn't talked about until after the crimes of David and Catherine were actually committed. So there's no actual proof. Um, but so his family left and... <laughs> Uh, short, shortly after, Catherine has a hysterectomy. Okay, she's oh, okay. with this guy. They have seven kids, and after the seventh child, you know, and sadly, she also, her first child with that guy, she watched him get run over by a car on accident. Oh, when fuck was, me! When he was six months old. Oh my god! How yeah. is he in the road? What is a six-month-old doing somewhere where a car can run I, over him? I, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> I mean, it's Catherine, okay? Oh. So, so, Beth is a hell of a drug. You're, you're, while reading into their beginnings, you're kind of like these poor bastards, right? These poor fucked-up people. So she has this hysterectomy and her husband goes up 
to see her in the room and she sees this guy sitting beside her bed holding her hand like and, she, and he's stroking her hand and it's David Bernie. <laughs> out of nowhere just shows up and uh, of course he's just like what the fuck he he'd known about him but didn't ever meet him so uh, he sees that then a few days later he drops her off at work right and he's like I'll be by whatever time and she's like okay drops her off he's he never saw her again oh wow she abandoned her family to be with this fucking creep talk talk about unhealthy attachment so despite them never marrying she changed her name um from katherine harrison to katherine bernie so like they never got married but she wanted to show her commitment to this guy so she changed her name uh and they started returning back to old habits only now it was more about like sexual deviancy more than theft more than Uh, just petty crimes yeah so in 1986 they moved into a house at three morehouse street um david got a job as a uh, at a car wrecker business and well they kept up appearances to the outside world right but they were really like diving more into their sexual fantasies. And so in early October, this woman, Mary Nielsen, came by the shop looking for tires for her car. And David convinced her to stop by his house to buy used tires from him directly. So she gave her his phone number, or she gave him her phone number. (laughs) Hey baby, stop by my house. I got some used tires for you. Yeah, and she was like, okay. Right. <laughs> she's 22, you know, and it's like, I don't know, maybe she's just like, I'm young and invincible, and this man seems not so shady. <laughs> Whatever. He works at this record place, sure. Anyway, not that all people are bad, who, but I'm sure, you know, look up a picture of this guy. That's all I have to say. <laughs> so, uh, David gives her number to to Catherine and she calls her and, you know, they make plans. So she comes over on October 6th and the 22 year olds forced by knife point off their front porch into their home. She was gagged and she was chained to the bed. Then she's repeatedly sexual assaulted with Catherine stimulating David while he rapes her. Wow. Yeah. Sometimes you need some help from your friends. <laughs> yeah. I think he'd be, you know, excited enough if he's willing to do this stuff. But she's like a willing participant. Like, please let me do something. Right? They repeatedly did this. And then they needed to figure out what to do with her. Yeah. Right? Because I don't think this initial... And, you know, there's some conflict about this but most people think like this wasn't actually a planned murder it was we want to rape this girl and see you know play out their fantasies so right right they were trying to figure out what to do with her so they took her to i think it's glen eagles national park and through her begging he still rapes her again and strangles her with the nylon cord 
then he stabs her through her body because he read it would speed up decomposition. And then they buried her in a shallow grave. Oh, wow. So, for something that was so unplanned, like, it was thought out. He had to have been thinking about this to some degree, right? Yeah, yeah, you would think so. so. Two weeks later, they pick up Susanna Candy. She's a 15-year-old, and she was hitchhiking home after a shift at work. Um, why a 15-year-old thinks that it's smart to hitchhike in the 90s, I don't mm. understand. But uh, they took her by knife point, gagged and chained her to the bed. Uh, David raped her for three days. And during this time, she was forced to send letters to her family to let them know that she was all right. Oh. Uh, of course, her family didn't believe it, right? Yeah. Um, and then Catherine would get in the bed with Susanna after David raped her and hold the knife to her throat just to please David because David got off on it. And uh, once they were satisfied enough, they tried to strangle her. But even as exhausted as I'm sure she was, she put up enough of a fight to pull. Uh, to push them to force her to have uh, sleeping pills put down her throat. And when she finally passed out, David challenged Catherine to prove her love for him by murdering her. So, of of course she obliged, right? She strangled her slowly with a nylon cord while she was unconscious. And David watched, of course, and they buried her near the first victim, Mary Nielsen. Mm Mm-hmm. So when Catherine was asked about this later, she said, because I wanted to see how strong I was within my inner self. I didn't feel a thing. It was like I expected. I was prepared to follow him to the end of the earth and do anything to see that his desires were satisfied. She was a female. Females hurt and destroy males. Wow. 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 What? Yep. That's some... Wow, that's some roundabout, backward-ass thinking, isn't it? Right. Yeah, so the female was mad at the other female for hurting and destroying Matt. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, girl power. Except in this case, I'm hurting women. It's different, right? It's different, yeah. (laughs) So on November 1st, they found a 31-year-old, Nellene Patterson. And she'd run out of gas, and they stopped to help. They took her in the same manner as they did the others, right? And the plan was to kill her that night. And, of course, the only reason why they started doing this is because they thought they got away with the first one, right? Right. Mm -hmm. As most serial killer, you know, they try one out, and if it goes well, then they keep going. So they planned to kill her that night, but David took a liking to her. He, like, was very attracted to her because she was very attractive and Catherine was yeah yeah and um so he kept her around for three days you know not like oh hey baby but like raping her and and uh she she started manipulating him no Nolene did into thinking she was becoming a willing participant uh participant in all of them Mm -hmm. all the stuff that was going on she'd 
when they tried to force her to call her friend, she cooperated. She was like, oh, yeah, yeah, because I want to stay longer or something. Mm-hmm. Why they believed her, I don't know. Um, and they had her ask her friend to move her car so that they wouldn't stop and get suspicious trying to get in contact with her or whatever when they saw this car on the side of the road. So her friend brought Nolene's car to her house so they wouldn't be suspected of anything, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Catherine became so jealous of Nolene that she eventually came in at one point holding a knife to her own throat and screaming for David to choose between her or Nolene. Oh, wow. So, immediately, David forced pills down her throat, down Nolene's throat, and then mm-hmm. strangled her. Oh. Um, and he insisted she be buried away from the other two victims. And he also buried her with underwear on while the other ones were buried naked. So, hmm. he definitely took... Yeah, he liked her. So... Uh, Before, you know, it was like every couple weeks. Well, just a couple days later, after they killed Nolene, they abducted and raped Denise Brown, who is a 21-year-old, who was just waiting for the bus. And the next day, they took her to this area, um, Wanneroo Pine Plantation. And David raped her while they were still in the car, waiting for it to get dark. Then they dragged her from the car car and David plunged a knife into her neck while he raped her. Wow. They dug a shallow grave and threw her body into it and when they did that, Denise sat up. So David grabbed an axe from the trunk and struck her twice twice on the head at full force to make sure she was dead. And then they buried her. Jesus. Yeah. So they found their final victim on November 10th. She was a 17-year-old, Kate Moore, um, and they took her while hitchhiking home after a night out. Um, She asked them if... She she was a smart cookie. I I mean, way different than the other girls. Yeah. Especially surprising for 17. She asked them, are you going to rape me or kill me? And they replied (laughs) to her, they replied to her, we'll only rape you if you're good. The first few hours were very weird compared to the other murders. Uh, they made her watch Rambo, <laughs> which, which was, it was their favorite movie. Jeez. So they, they made her watch Rambo and then told her to take a shower. And, you know, you think, okay, who tells you to take a shower before they rape you? Right? Why mm. do they care? So anyway... Then they made her dance for at least two hours to Dire Straits song, Romeo and Juliet. Oh my god. Oh jeez. Can you imagine fucking hours of dancing to that song while you're just crying and probably exhausted and confused as fuck? Just go ahead and kill me. Can you imagine two hours of listening to Dire Straits? No. And these people are watching you like fucking entertainment. Damn. So after this, after all that crap, that's when David rapes her for the first time. And Catherine sat there taking notes. Then, notes? Yeah. What Why do you take notes point? on? I don't get know. Your, get your hips higher? Probably they're trying to improve their technique or something. I don't know. <sighs> Jesus. So after this... 
she had to sleep with them in their master bedroom with her foot handcuffed to David's foot. And they tried to get her to take sleeping pills and she pretended to take them but hid them under the mattress. Smart girl. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you think, okay, they're going to drug me and then kill me, right? So, and this is funny. David was working a job while they were doing all this stuff this whole time. Mm-hmm. So he goes, he goes to work the next day and left Catherine to watch Kate. She tried to gain... Catherine's trust and she was actually mildly successful she even convinced her to untie her and because of this she was able to hide clues and her personal effects around the house so about midday Catherine (coughs) she answers the door to buy drugs like she called a guy and he came over she has to lock Kate in the bedroom because she tries to get out the door but she manages to find an unlocked window and escapes. And she's wearing, like, nothing, right? Oh, wow. She knocked on three neighbors' doors and was even attacked by a dog before she found somebody who stopped. He was standing outside of a store and listened to her. And <laughs> nobody wanted to believe her because she was so hysterical. And the the story was just, like, unbelievable, right? Until she took the authorities to the house and started freaking out. And they were like, okay, there's something behind this. So, of course, when they searched the house, they found the items that Kate had placed in different places, proving that she had been inside the house. Wow. Yeah. Smart girl for 17. Uh, So, during, you know, they brought him in and interrogated them. And initially, Catherine was saying they'd never seen Kate before. David, however, told them, oh, no, she came over willingly to have sex with us. So after a day of interrogation, David basically says, okay, it's getting late. We might as well get this over with. And the detectives, like, asking him and trying to get him to give information. He finally just admits there's four bodies. And... <laughs> He was basically saying, it's getting dark, (laughs) getting dark, so I need to go ahead and take you to these bodies so you can dig them up. Oh, my God. And I guess he put his head and his hands in, even, like, sobbed a little bit, they think. Um, Almost like he was relieved. Huh. Yeah. Um, So he took them to the bodies, and... Uh, apparently, when Catherine was brought to the burial site of Nolene Patterson, David's favorite, she spit on the grave. Oh. So she was definitely a jealous bitch. Yeah, no kidding. So, they were both sentenced to four life sentences. When asked why David pled guilty, he gestured toward the victim's families and said, It's the least I can do. And also, when he was on trial, there's actually video footage of him blowing a kiss as people are screaming at him, you know, as he's getting into the police vehicle. And he's, like, blowing them a kiss. (laughs) Wow. They both go to jail, right? Mm -hmm. And they wrote each other over 2,600 letters for years. And then... Catherine just stopped writing. So David hung himself in his cell in 2005. 
Um, that's not the only reason, like, he had depression and he was off his meds and he was being accused of sexually assaulting a prisoner. There's all of these, you know, so who knows? Who the fuck knows? He kills himself in 2005. Catherine's still in prison. Um, she was, she's the prison head librarian or something. Um, she, but, wait, she is still now? Is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Yep. So she was interviewed for a book and the author is Ruth Wicks and at one point Ruth told Catherine don't play the helpless female with me and Ruth Wicks she said she normally comes across as this mousy you know really like how you would expect almost like an injured like a a very timid mousy like easy to get along with type person Mm -hmm. um after she said that don't play the helpless female with me Catherine grabbed her and pushed her up against a wall and said you don't know what power is until you've held someone's life in your hands and like Ruth said her face had changed in an instant into this just like almost like rage was glowing in her eyes that's that was what her words were wow So, she also has written letters to notorious female killers while serving, um, including Eileen Warnos and Myra Hindley, um, which I know about both those women, and maybe we'll eventually talk about them, I don't know, but... Yeah, so she she still, and she had written her family about uh, warning her children about uh, who they love. Make sure you know who you love and why you love them, and you know, be careful to the lengths you'll go. And she admitted, <laughs> she admitted now she even is trapped by loving David and wants to help him, even though he's dead. I don't know. So, yeah, that's the story. Pretty crazy. That is that is rambling and just full of bizarre fuckery so do you think they really loved each other no i think david knew he could manipulate her he liked power which is why he liked to rape women and i think he knew from the beginning he had control over her and i think Catherine thought she loved him but and maybe she did but it was so unhealthy because she was in so much pain and she needed to belong and to be wanted that she would do anything for it. And it probably didn't even matter who it was. It was just, she probably felt less judged by him because he was as fucked up as she was. Yeah. That's, um, that's, that's a delightful love story for the ages. I, I thought so. I thought you guys would like that. Yeah. And I mean, if you think this was rambly, Oh my God! There's so much I left out. <laughs> I, had to, I had to dilute this down three different times to even get it down this much. Wow! So this was in Australia in the '90s, right? Did I get those details right? It was um, a two-week, around a two-week period in 1986, where they actually committed the murders. '86. So I'm interested yeah. in how he gave up so easily. Just like, ah, it's getting dark. I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> Let me yeah. tell you all the people that we murder. That's like it a Snickers commercial. It was right? right. 
<laughs> oh god. I think he probably realized when he couldn't convince them that they didn't kidnap and rape Kate that they knew eventually it was going to come back to them one way or another. I mean, they didn't they dug very shallow graves, you know, they put all the bodies in one place. So yeah. it's only so much time before one of those families actually tries to do a search or something. So he probably knew enough to go, eh, whatever. Fuck it. Yeah, I'm yeah. calling it. This so, is the end. Uh, we're done he, here. Yeah, when he knew he wasn't getting anywhere with the whole, she wanted to have sex with us. Then he probably knew it was all unraveling and he might as well get it done and over with. I understand saying, hey, I'm doing this thing. You want to come in here and, and watch and or help? I, you know, okay. That's, uh, that's, that's fine. But never just like, hey, you want to do me a favor and kill this broad? Right. Yeah. And yeah. that will really, and that will really prove that you love me. Even though you abandoned your entire family for me, um, all your seven kids, and yeah, all that, I still need more proof. Thanks. Yeah, but I mean, she was ready to kill herself if David was gonna be like, "No, I want to keep this girl around." A few days later, she was so jealous mm -hmm. that she was willing to die because she didn't want to live if he was gonna want to be with someone else. So, it was probably like, he was like, you have to kill this woman in order to show that you love me. She was probably like, okay, I'll do whatever for you. I could do that. All right. Like, he got off on power and manipulation. She got off on pleasing him. Yeah. You know? So, it's fucked up. Yeah. Seriously fucked up. Well, thank you <laughs> for You're sharing that, that beautiful story of love and manipulation and yes, just yes. this. Don't you feel warm and fuzzy? I, yeah, I feel like slightly nauseous, but yeah, that's that was some fucked up shit. Do you see what happens when you watch Hollywood romance and think that's how things work in real life? High expectations and then you get shot in the face and stabbed in the pedenda by somebody who's supposed to love you. When we come back, it's movie time. Every love story is a horror story and it's dead dark heart. Back in a few from the fifth level of hell. Are you sick of the same old stale podcasts? Well then join Vanessa and David as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites, curiosities, and first-time watches to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room, where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on iTunes, and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VDClinicPod or email them at VDClinicPod at gmail.com. They're ready to cure what ails you. And still, they just might be contagious. 
Get information or a pamphlet at most pharmacies or a health clinic. If you need help, see a doctor. Welcome back to Kiss the Goat. It's October and love is in the air. We love love. Well, of course. Love is a good thing. I think so. But movies about love are generally terrible and present unrealistic situations and require copious amounts of alcohol to get through. People who think horror movies are awful and harmful to society have obviously never seen a chick flick. On that note, we're about to get into the first movie you meet in hell. Now, these are movies that people adore. These are the movies that people quote. Um, they own multiple editions of these movies, and some of them are even considered classics. I got to tell you, I don't hate all of them. I do. Passionately. This segment is called At Least 10 Things I Hate About You. You want to see something really scary? You bet. Really? Yeah. Okay, this is this is really really scary now. Uh, just a bit of explanation. When I say things I hate about you, we're referring to the movie and not each other. Right. Well, X felt that it was important to address the movie directly, as if it were a living sentient being. I wanted to have feelings that I can hurt. <laughs> So, guys, we're not going to do the normal detailed breakdown like we usually do. We're also not using a script for this segment. So while we take notes on the movies as we're watching them, beyond that, this is going to be off the cuff and raw as anything we've ever done. So let's get into it. And have we even told them what the movie is yet? <laughs> no. I like to keep that shit a surprise as long as possible. But now we could reveal the first movie you watch in hell is. The heat is in the music. The music sets you dancing. The dancing sets her free. Best Wrong Pictures presents Dirty Dancing. She thought it would be just another summer vacation. Who's that? Oh, them. They're the dance people. But it turns out to be the time of her life. What's me now? He teaches her what she can do. I'm not sure who you are, but I don't want you to have anything to do with those people again. Baby, I don't see you running up to daddy telling him I'm your guy. Well, with my father, it's complicated. I will tell him. I, I don't believe you, baby. She shows him all he can be. You gotta stop it now. I know what I'm doing, Penny. I'm scared of everything. Most of all, I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my whole life the way I feel when I'm with you. What they learn from each other feels too good to be wrong. Yeah. 
Dirty Dancing, starring Patrick Swayze, Jennifer Grey, and Cynthia Rhodes. Get ready for the time of your life. That's right. Dirty Dancing from 1987. Patrick Swayze, Ferris Bueller's sister, Lenny Briscoe. It's been part of popular culture for 30 years. It inspired a sequel and a television remake. And it is wrongheaded in almost every conceivable way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm going to let you start with <laughs> maybe your first couple of things that you hate about this movie. Because I have a feeling that your list is much, much longer than mine is. My first thought is, why do the opening credits look like the black and white version of the Rave and Zion from the second <laughs> Matrix movie? These guys are way better dancers. They're, are they dancing? Because it just seems like they can't keep their balance. They're just leaning back and forth and using each other's kneecaps for support. <laughs> Isn't that all dancing is? Uh, is it? I don't know. What the <laughs> fuck do I know about dancing? I also... I, I, the movie spends a lot of time making sure that we understand exactly, precisely what time period we're set in here. Yeah. There's like radio news reports and <laughs> babies are like, I'm going to join the Peace Corps. Well, and you've oh. got that beautiful like Wonder Years-esque voiceover in like the first three and a half minutes of this movie too where baby is explaining exactly what's going on in current events during the time that this movie takes place in oh, have i made it clear in past episodes how i feel about voiceovers <laughs> i think you have i am i i am not a fan so we've got basically is the rich people who go to this resort and the Catskills and then we have, they call them the dance people, which I think is funny. Look out for the dance people. Don't go into the lair of the dance people. Well, so, and, oh, no, I was just going to say and you're setting up for one of the things that's on my hate about this movie list and it's a trope and I realize it is, but it's it's a really heavy-handed in these types of movies, and that is they have this kind of overarching moral that they just browbeat the fuck out of you with, and they do it from Jump Street in this film especially, and that is, you know, you've got the rich people and you got the poor people, and the entire conflict for this storyline is between those two classes and it's just it's a very very stark thing and they hammer it in every second possible from start to finish so is dirty dancing really a movie about class warfare i think at its heart it is yeah see i think at its heart it's pretending to be because if it were actually about class warfare, the movie would have ended with the resort on fire. <laughs> that would have been preferable to the dance so number scene at the happy end of with this that. movie. Oh my god. <laughs> you know, this is a movie where the lead character's name is Baby. I mean, her name is Francis, but they call her Baby. And I don't the baby's not short for Francis. I don't know what the shit that means. Well, but Oh, is she just literally the baby of the family? Yeah. She's got an older sister, so she's the baby. 
Well, how come they don't call the other sister Oldie? You know they should because she's she's a twat and she is just dried up and bitter and she's another one of my hates in this movie. Oh, her eyebrows are terrible. I can't decide if it's the eyebrows or the bangs that I hate worse. Like I don't. I, I don't how can you tell them apart? <laughs> I do like the blunt cut Betty Page kind of bangs, but it does not work for this girl. No. It looks awful. When we first meet the dance people, and they are led by Patrick Swayze, his character's name is Johnny Castle. Of course, it's Johnny. (laughs) But the first thing that he does to show what a rebel he is, is he knocks over a napkin. He's such a hard ass. What a bastard! Fuck your place settings! I'm a dancer. So I hate his name. I hate his character's name. (laughs) Johnny Castle. The fuck? No, it's not. Right? And I also hate that he's supposed to be one of the younger type people in this movie. And he looks like a good 15 years older than all of the other dance people. He is. I mean, he is 15 years older than the other ones. Him and Penny. Oh, Penny. That poor character. That's Cynthia Rhodes, by the way. And I love Cynthia Rhodes as an actress. I don't know what the fuck she's doing in this movie. Because eventually she just turns into Betty Boop. Eva starts talking like, you know, just like, Oh, Gianni, I don't know what we're going to do. Stop! Get out of this movie! Jesus, respect yourself! Okay, another thing I don't like about this movie is that when we first get to see the dance people dance, it's at, like, some big... It's the first night, and Johnny and Penny kind of take the floor and show everybody what they can do, and then they start signing people up for lessons. Okay, that's fine. I hate the fact that their band leader is named Tito Suarez. And I think the reason that I don't like that is because... I don't know, is this an early 60s thing? I mean, it's like, what, you couldn't afford Cab Calloway? You couldn't get, like... This whole scene just feels like, watch the darky dance. Oh, wow. And I hate it. It runs all over me. (laughs) Him up there shucking and jiving for all those rich white people who came up from, you know, the city. Well, I think I would hate it more if he didn't seem to be, like, really enjoying what he was doing. But I I don't... It didn't feel so much to me like, you know, here's your dollar, get up there and and do your bit. It felt like he was really enjoying the music. Really? Yeah, it did to me, but... Okay, because to me it just felt like the worms ate into his brain. (laughs) Just took over his cortex. Okay, so now, after seeing the dancers, Mm -hmm. Baby, who wanted to go to college um, for, to learn economic development in third world countries, all of a sudden she sees these folks and she's like, fuck, I want a pink dress. (laughs) I don't think it's quite that simple. It It is. I think it's precisely that simple. <laughs> and then she goes, she wants to get into the lair of the dance people, which guests are not allowed to go into, but she sneaks in by carrying a watermelon. Uh-huh. And don't get me started on that symbolism, kids. I started to say, this isn't about a dress. This is about somebody getting in her dress. Baby is horny. 
Yeah. And you know what? These dance people are a bunch of fucking dry humping carnies. <laughs> Look at what they're doing. Why doesn't Baby know how to do that dance? She's 17. She should have at least attempted these motions like three years prior. Well, I don't know. Does she not have a pillow? She's daddy's little girl. She's very privileged, upper, uh, you know, upper middle class, maybe even above that. White girl living in upstate New York, probably going to a private fucking school. You're proving my point for me. <laughs> also, well, I don't know. I don't know. And, and here's here's a hint for the viewers at home. The wetter baby gets, the bigger her nostrils get. That's true. And the fewer just, clothes she wears. Yeah, but it's just like, oh, he's kind of hot, and it's just, it's it's like a it's like a like an inhaler commercial. You can just see her nasal passages open and her nostrils flare like bell-bottom jeans. It's incredible. You know, I bet that's why she got the nose job. <laughs> She watched this after the fact, and she's like, "The fuck is wrong with my nostrils?" Oh my God! She went straight to a plastic surgeon. I have to fix this. No. Nope. <laughs> <sighs> so Johnny Castle, uh, he's just a gigolo, and everywhere he goes, people know the part he's playing. Now, is it? It's Johnny is one of these guys who's like he'll take the blame for shit, you know, because he's a dancer with a heart of gold. Ugh. So Penny is pregnant and doesn't want anybody to know because she will lose her dancing gig if that happens. Yep. So Baby and Johnny concoct this plan to help Penny get an abortion. Uh, let, and, let's, and let's drill down deeper with that. Baby borrows the money for the abortion from her father without telling him what it's for. In order for Johnny to keep his job and for Penny's job to remain secure, she has to learn how to do the mambo so that they can do a show at a hotel in like three days. Okay? So, baby learns to mambo so Penny can get an abortion, but her daddy can never find out that this is happening. This is the worst I Love Lucy episode ever. Well, and she straight up lies to her dad, too, because he's like, what is the money for? And she's like, I can't tell you. Please trust me. And he's like, is it illegal? And she gets this just shocked, (laughs) innocent look on her face and says, no, daddy, and bats her eyelashes and kind of smiles at him. It's like, yeah, it's fucking illegal. Abortions were not legal then. You're getting a back alley abortion for your friend. How can this be a smack in the face to the patriarchy when you're borrowing the money from your father? Well, I don't think I was really that involved. I think it was just Penny's knocked up with some asshole and she can't support herself, much less a baby. She was desperate. Some asshole waiter. Some asshole waiter who reads the fountainhead and won't pay for an abortion. My God, what year is it? This year? Because that's what it feels like. I hate that piece of shit, too. And all the while, he's trying to bork baby's older sister, the Uh, ugly one. uh. So, kind of a next level of bitching for me is, why do we get all this great 
60s R&B music during the dance training montage. Mm-hmm. But during, like, big scenes, we get fucking Eric Carmen, whose big solo hit was in 1975. <laughs> Suddenly we get shitty music. We get fucking hungry eyes. Yeah, there's a very weird shift about two-thirds of the way into this movie, and, like, the, the last, like, the third act is just music that doesn't fit with the rest of the soundtrack and like people's like the dance people's wardrobe gets progressively closer to 80s dress and i don't understand why they did that it starts getting kind of sloppy sloppy i mean jesus just hungry eyes itself makes phil collins to like the fucking who (laughs) so the, the whole learning to dance thing. I understand this is 1963 and, you know, whatever. Why is he dancing shirtless with the 17-year-old? Yeah. Creepy, carny motherfucker. <laughs> he's not a carny. He he's is a, a... He's a poor dance instructor with a heart of gold. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> <laughs> who apparently is not bothered by little things like statutory rape. Apparently not. Apparently he's fine with that. It's, it's during this montage also that I noticed, we already talked about how when Baby gets wet, her nostrils just engorge. But really, whenever she, whenever she looks turned on, it really just seems like she wants a double cheeseburger. Really? Because I thought she looked slightly nauseous. But maybe it's that whole, am I hungry or am I nauseous feeling? Like, she's she's a little confused about what she's feeling. So. Like she's already subliminally pregnant? I, I, maybe. Or maybe it's just, you know, a rush of hormones and all of a sudden she's like, oh, ooh, what is this feeling? I don't know. Uh, maybe so. Um... <laughs> <laughs> There's that scene where they're out in the rain trying to get into Johnny's car, and he's locked the keys in it. So of course he just bashes out the back window, and it's, it's stormy. And it's stormy, but but he looks at baby and says, "You're getting wet, right?" <laughs> That's the whole point of the fucking movie. Yep. <laughs> the symbolism here is so heavy-handed. And then after that, she's she's doing that thing where she's like dancing on that log bridge, mm-hmm. like it's a, like it's a balance beam. Am I supposed to be impressed that this is her first experience with wood? Is <laughs> I don't mind obvious symbolism, you know, with her, you know, straddling that log. But I mean, shit, you might as well just put a mushroom in her pants pocket. <laughs> So Penny gets a botched abortion. Yeah. It's a ba- it's a back alley thing. There are probably coat hangers involved. It's like you know. The guy had a dirty knife and a folding table. <laughs> Jesus, they did say that, didn't they? They did. It was like a poker game with the odd couple. Right. Ugh. So baby gets her dad to fix it because he's a doctor, and he's furious. And I don't understand why he's mad about saving somebody's life. I mean, it's not like Penny tried to kill herself. It was a fuck-up. So, once again, I'm very confused about what message 
this movie is trying to get across. Well, he's mad, one, because it was an abortion, which is illegal and, in his eyes, immoral. I think maybe they're Catholic, even though they don't say they're Catholic. Maybe he was raised, I don't know. I think they're Jewish. You think they're what? I I think they're Jewish. And the reason I think they're Jewish is because um, it was a big thing back in the 60s to take vacations in the Catskills, which is where Dirty Dancing takes place. If Uh you've ever heard of the Borscht Belt, um, which is where a lot of Jewish comedians played. They spent their summers doing the resort tour up in the Catskill. So I think they're Jewish. Oh, okay. Well, maybe that's it. Well, anyway, so it's an abortion, okay? So it's immoral and illegal. And two, his innocent little girl, who is still, you know, four years old in his eyes, is hanging out with these poor, vulgar dance people. Dance people! knowing that he would not approve she's been sneaking around behind his back and three he flat out asked her is this illegal and she told him no so she's lied to him so he's furious on multiple levels he's probably confused because here he thought he knew his daughter and she's doing shit that he could not even have imagined that she would have done on one level I can get that okay I've raised children, so have you. I understand this. But I also understand that our kids do shit that we will never, ever know about. Yep. I am perfectly fine with that arrangement. (laughs) I don't need to know. (laughs) There is some shit. Just, you know what? No. Don't. (laughs) Wait until I'm drunk, because I'll forget. (laughs) But some shit, I just, there. I no, I'm good. I'm good. You live that life. That is your path. Not to mention, he probably smells the hormones, like, interaction between Baby and Johnny Castle, who is, like, you know, 15, 20 years her senior. And he thinks that Johnny's the one that knocked up Penny, and now, you know, like, Baby is in his sights or something. So that's why he's so, like, angry towards Johnny. What is the age of consent in the Catskills? I don't. What was it in the early 60s? Like 40? <laughs> honestly, don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I just, and after this is where Johnny's behavior becomes even more suspect. You know, for a gigolo, carny dance person. This woman that he's known for years almost bled out in the dancer carny big top back there and his first thought is I should dry hump this teenager <laughs> that's gonna make both of us feel better so, and so there it is there it is there's the test there's the statutory rape well she starts it what do you mean <laughs> Well, I mean, she went to his room and she was like, dance with me. And he started dancing with her and, you know, one thing led to another. Why Why didn't he say no? Bada boom, bada bing. Well, when was the last time you said no to a girl in your room who wanted you? It was you! When did you say no to me? When's the last time I had a girl in my room who wanted me? Well, It I was don't... you! <laughs> You were the last girl. That's not what I said. I said, when was the last time you said no to a girl who was in your room that wanted you? Oh. Oh. Never. Never. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's 
what I thought. But I wasn't breaking any, you know, state or federal laws at the time either. <laughs> I may have been, you know, pushing the boundaries of certain societal mores at the time, but I was not breaking any laws. Fair enough. All right, so what's the next thing you hate about this movie? The next thing I hate th about this movie is that Johnny is mad that Baby won't tell her daddy that they're a thing. Baby shouldn't tell daddy that y'all are a thing <laughs> because you're 17 and he is 42. Yeah. Not to mention, I mean, they've known each other at this point for what, two weeks? I don't even think that long. They trained for the Mambo for three days Penny had the abortion on the fourth day. I think they got together that afternoon, and she kind of crashed in the Carney Big Top. And on the fifth day, she rested. So I think that's it. It's like, so like less than a week. Less than one full week, and all of a sudden, he's all jealous and angry because she's not running around telling the entire camp that she's borking one of the poor Carnies. Which would be like the female version of I'm in love with a stripper, essentially. Yeah. Also, at this point, this, and again, I just wrote it down as it came up so I wouldn't forget it. What the fuck are the Pointer Sisters on this soundtrack? <laughs> are they doing the Neutron Dance? Did they know what a Neutron was in 1963? Again, it makes no sense for the love of fuck. Stay with the time. Yeah. Next question. How much vitamin E do you think Johnny Cancel had to take to bang every bitch in that resort? Oh, dude, I don't know. I hope there was a sub shop down the road or something, because boy be needing his protein. Because <laughs> he got around. They didn't even have Powerade back then. Right? Yeah, I mean, you know how I am. I think Powerade just fucking cures everything. It's like, oh, God, I'm tired. Powerade, I'll feel better. Oh, uh, well, uh, I need to go again. Oh, Powerade, that's awesome. We'll do that. It's got electrolytes. That's what slits crave. Right. So, <clears throat> Baby finally has the confrontation with her father, where basically, you know, he doesn't disown her, but you can tell he really wants to. <laughs> now, I'm not a female with daddy issues. My daddy issues are totally different than babies, so maybe I can't fully grasp this situation. Does she realize that she's fucking Johnny because she has daddy issues? No, and she won't for at least another 10 years. Okay, that's cool. I mean, I, that was a legit serious question because I don't know how... I don't know how that works. Okay. Yeah, that's... no. She's She's got to get out of Daddy's house and live life for a little bit, and then it'll come full circle, and it'll hit her between the eyes, and she'll go, holy shit, maybe I should work through my Daddy issues before I try another relationship. All right. And why wasn't that Dirty Dancing too? Oh, I'm glad there... Was there a Dirty Dancing too? Yes, there was, and it took place in Cuba. Ugh. <laughs> Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. I'm glad I missed that. Oh, we, I, I, can, I can certainly show it to you. No, that's okay. Alright, fine. She's Like the Wind is one of the worst songs ever written, and I used to listen to Jack Wagner, so I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> She's Like the Wind in My Tree? <laughs> is this from the point of view of Curious George? <laughs> 
I've, I don't no, know. I don't know. I've never, I've never understood this song. Again, that, not 60s. Right. Not, not even close. <laughs> and then there's this weird scene where I guess Baby and her older sister kind of like understand each other now. It's like, oh, okay. Wasn't you, that weird? It's like, okay, you've had weird sex. I've had weird sex that we never talked about. It was with Daddy. But I guess we're kind of on the same level now. <clears throat> you know? It's just like, I don't understand that scene. We've both done weird things with our vaginas this summer. But you're my sister, and I'll do your hair. Not your vagina hair, but your head hair. That was so awkward, too. Like, you almost for a split second thought, are they going to kiss? The fuck is going on here? And then it ended up not being that at all. I know. Why is baby's sister like a horrible version of Sarah Silverman? Uh... And why is their father so fucking dense? And why does Johnny talk like Tim Curry from It? These are all unanswered questions. <laughs> we'll never get an answer to them, love. And again, the the last big dance scene of the movie where Johnny Castle is like, I didn't get Penny pregnant, and I'm a nice person, and I'd like to take online classes to become a massage therapist, so I don't know why y'all hate me so much, but we're going to dance anyway. <laughs> and they play that fucking Time of My Life song, that Bill Med Medley and Jennifer Ward song, instead of an awesome song from the 60s. For the record, big dance numbers at the end of a film that is not a fucking musical pisses me off. And you know, because that's not an ending. I hate it. That's just a distraction. Hate. Yeah, it's a distraction to make you think something happened when really they're just dancing and then the credits are rolling. And if you're lucky, you leave the theater singing the song that they were dancing to. It's such a fucking cop-out. It's like, oh, I've confronted Daddy. Oh, I'm gonna be with Baby. Oh, look, everybody's happy. No! The fuck? This movie betrays itself and just kind of just fists itself in its dainty little wrinkled pink gray blowhole <laughs> over and over again. Oh, those shots of Johnny's sneering little dance face without context are just Christing awful. Just all of a sudden you'll see me he's like, eh, eh. like his the, like his upper lip is trying to crawl into his left nostril. And then all the fucking carnies come in for that last thing. And it's like, it's like shitty choreography of the dead in here. Somebody please just fucking eat Jerry Orbach. Put him out of his fucking misery. Yeah. I think the only hate on my list that you didn't cover was the... That condescending prick that tries to pick up Baby, the boss's kid. What was his name? I can't even oh, remember. I don't know. He's, I got two hotels. Oh, my God. Like, that character just runs all over me. But all of the, like, fucking rich characters in this film are just stupid and self-absorbed and just horrible, horrible people. My last real big hate also has to do with that final dance scene and that's where you've got at least two or three of the dance people who are lip-syncing the song while they're dancing yep irritates the shit out of me <laughs> don't don't fucking 
do that? I mean, what? Are you in seventh grade? You've already fucked her. It's not like you're trying to distract her by fake singing so you can surreptitiously grab her ass. <laughs> Ugh, just the last five minutes was like the longest Billy Joel video ever. Yeah. So, ugh. I felt like... I don't know, I guess <laughs> this is maybe my final thought on Dirty Dancing. I felt like I had to physically defend myself from this movie. Because <laughs> I felt like it was going to attack me with just fistfuls of anachronisms and character faults. Yeah, I get that. Um, I mean, you saw me watch it. I, it was, it was, it was, I was amusing. I was, curled, I was curled up in a ball. You were. <laughs> and I just sat on the end of the couch and laughed my ass off because this movie y'all I have seen this movie so many times now granted I haven't seen it in like 25 years but in that short span from like the age 12 to like 15 I saw it many, many fucking times. So there was a bit of nostalgia there for me. Like, I knew lines. I knew all of the fucking songs. Know this movie inside and out. Because I was a little obsessed with Patrick Swayze when I was a kid. Which has its own creep factor. And I don't know where that plays into my psyche. But there it is. Nobody puts Cootie in the corner. So for me, this was just like a trip down, you know, this cinematic memory lane that I hadn't been down in a while. But watching X watch this movie was it was it was a special event, not one that I will forget soon, I'm sure. This movie came out in 1987. I graduated high school in 1987. I wasn't going to watch it then, and I spent 3 decades avoiding it. So this was a first time watch for me. Because I had no intention of ever seeing this movie until we decided to descend into the darkest, deepest reaches of hell. It's all for you, Damien! Oh, God. It's all for you, Johnny! <laughs> it's all for you! Anyway, uh, yeah, so that's that's... That. <laughs> All done. Well, now that that movie's over, you want to go somewhere else? You know what we should do tomorrow? Keep drinking. Have a bloody merry first thing. Have a bite of the king's head, a couple of the little princess, stack them back in. <laughs> back at the bar for shots. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Let's play Buy Me a Drink. If you were to buy me a drink after watching Dirty Dancing, which drink would you buy me? Is eye bleach a drink? <laughs> Come on now. Oh, God. All right. What's like a good, weird kind of <gasps> a Mai Tai? Oh, boy. What's in a Mai Tai? I don't know, but it seems like a very 60s drink. It seems like something that Johnny Castle would order at a... At, yeah. a t at a terrible dive bar. You got this? I'm Googling it. All right. Let's Throw find out your... what the fuck is in a Mai Tai. Throw that in your Google machine. <laughs> All right. Let's see. It's got spiced rum, coconut-flavored rum, grenadine, 
pineapple juice, and orange juice. That seems like something you would drink. I think I would. It'd kill me. Cause yeah, I would have to do something else for you. Yeah, because I can't. I'm allergic to coconut, so I'd be dead. What 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 would would you buy me after Dirty Dancing? <laughs> what what should I have bought you the other night? Um, probably a gallon of fruit punch and a handle of like just Everclear. Man, just yes. mind yes. wipe. <laughs> <laughs> mind wipe. <laughs> That's what we would call it. We would call it mind wipe. <laughs> We'd call it the, I've had the time of my life, but I can't remember it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, well, you know, if you go see a chick flick and you're having drinks, you're probably going to have dinner too. So we couldn't leave Chef Al out of all this October weirdness. Let's head out to Nova Scotia to the Picnic Dart Restaurant. And let Chef make us dinner for two. This meal looks quite delightful, Betty. Oh, it's just something I threw together, that's all. Well, shall we dig in? Everyone's so hungry. Hey, hey, Alkalites. It's uh, Chef Al here. If, uh, if I sound a little different, it's um, just just because I'm I'm in the walk-in right now. Um, don't worry, I'm not gonna freeze or nothing. I, I turn the chillers off, but it's got a good solid door. Uh, the walls are solid. Uh, I don't think anyone can listen in on me in here. Um, things have taken a weird turn, and I'm feeling a little scared, a little vulnerable even. Um, I don't exactly know what's going on. I'm trying to get a hold of Cootie and X. Um, all I get is like some, I can't tell if it's like cackling or sobbing. Anyway, um, so we watched this movie, and, uh, it's, uh, it's it, it's a movie, um, but just 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 things kind of seem to go really really wrong and really strange. Um, first, we're setting off. And it's like a sort of a period piece slasher film. Everyone's going off to camp. You've got these teenagers, youngins, all of their foibles, and you know they're all laid out for you. Um, you get to establish the the groundwork, the layout of the place, and this is going to be pretty good. I'm just waiting for someone to come along and, you know, sort of take care of business, and that business never gets done, and, um, someone's like, okay, then maybe there's something more going on here, maybe, maybe it's the adults in this, um, in the, in, the, in this camp in upstate New York, maybe there's some kind of a cult, there's, uh, there's some pregnancy things going on, maybe this is like a, uh, Porky's meets, uh, Rosemary's baby kind of a thing, but there's nothing, um, there's nothing going on like that. There's just these, like, they're just working through their problems and having interpersonal issues, and there's no greater power coming in to manipulate or and or destroy them. Um, 
then we get like uh, it gives us like momentary bit of hope and it's like, oh maybe this is like a uh, a North American remake of uh, what have you done to Solange uh, that could pay off pretty good um, and then there's nothing um, I, start, I start like groping for uh, sort of uh, Protestant dance paranoia theories and like maybe they're getting indoctrinated into this uh, this sicko perv dance cult that they're going to perform some ritual at the end that's going to crack open some walls into another dimension and you know we'll get some relief and closure to all this but um, nothing's happening it's just all gotten very strange and I feel feel kind of empty I don't know quite how to deal with all of this but uh, one thing that I've learned over life is when you're faced with crises, when you're set adrift and you, you don't really know up from down anymore, stick to what you know. And uh, so I find the best thing for me to do when, when, when I'm feeling at a loss is, is to uh, just get in the kitchen and uh, try to make something. So that's what we're going to do uh, right now. So... What I've got for dirty dancing is uh, a little dish inspired by some of the moments in the film and uh, the setting of the film. So what I thought we would do, we're up in the Catskills, we're um, you know, deep in the, uh, the area of the famous touristy um, comedy circuit, uh, people getting out of town and indulging themselves sort of a thing. And what better way of expressing that than uh, with a classic uh, veal cutlet? Um, so we're going to do like a veal scallopini. And I, there's one thing about the setting of this film. Uh, at least in this area, you'd be able to get like real veal, uh, which, you know, half meat uh, that's primarily been fed with the milk of, uh, of, of probably, it's romantic to say their parent, but uh, that's primarily fed with, with milk as opposed to grain, uh, which is what most things that pass reveal are now. They're just basically grain-fed young cows. Um, but, uh, so what you're going to want to do with this is, uh, I, I like to use something off the loin or maybe even a leg piece. Um, they're young they're full of dairy, uh, there's not a lot of muscle tissue, so you don't have to get super fussy about what cut you're using, they're all going to be kind of like proteiny, mushy, um, and basically you want to, whatever piece you're using, just make sure it's relatively free of cartilage, um, there's probably not going to be any big fatty deposits anyway, so you don't have to worry about that, but you just want pretty much pure lean meat, and in, in this case, that's, um, one of the few times when that's a, that, that's a good thing to have. Um, so what you want to do is take slices that are fairly thin, and if you can't get them super thin, break up the old meat mallet, slam that down. Uh, you can get, like, very traditional Italian if you want and, like, take it down to, like, nearly paper thin. I like to have a little bit of a chew to it, and if it's a decent quality meat, then that's not going to be a problem. And uh, then you're just going to want to dredge that in some flour, the flour is just to give it, uh, is to adhere to the uh, to the meat itself. Um, you're going to take that floured veal and give it a dunk in what's called an egg wash, which is 
guess what? Eggs uh, usually thinned out with a little bit of water. I like to thin it out with a little bit of milk. And then it's going to go into a seasoned breadcrumb mix. Uh, by seasoned breadcrumbs, generally we mean breadcrumbs with salt. You can add herbs. You can add whatever you like in whatever kind of proportion that you like. That, that's all up to you. Um, so it's flour. Dip into the, uh, the your slurry of egg and then dip that into, uh, or drag it through your breadcrumbs. Uh, best practice is to then put it on like a wire rack or a baking rack uh, so you get some airflow all the way around. Leave it in the fridge for a little bit so it has a chance to set up. And at the end of the day, all you're just going to do is fry that up. It's not going to take much time at all to cook. Um, going along with this, what I'm going to serve on top of it is a watermelon and uh, grapefruit uh, salsa. Uh, watermelon because apparently it's a really big deal to bring a watermelon. And um, grapefruit because apparently there is some kind of cultish aspect to this film that's never paid off. Maybe it's like a picnic at Hanging Rock thing. Maybe I'm looking too much for a resolution. Maybe I should go back and like poke around in the shadows and enjoy the um, the unexplained. Yeah, that, that's probably the way to go. I was being too literal about all this. I'm sure everything's going to be just fine. Um, so yeah, so apparently there's some kind of like cultish aspect that where you can signify that people that are uh, indoctrinated in some cult will eat um, grapefruit for breakfast instead of eating uh, large piles of meat and half browns. Um, so, what you have with these two fruits, of course, is one is like kind of watery and sweet, and the other is kind of fibrous and tart. So, if you put the two of them together in equal portions, you're going to have a nice bit of uh, tropical fruit. Um, but you know what I mean by tropical fruit, lowercase t, tropical fruit. They're not really in the tropics. You follow. Uh, so that that's going to be a nice classic kind of combination. So just to salsify these, I like to take larger chunks of the watermelon and the uh, grapefruit. Uh, let those sort of sit aside in a bowl. I'm just going to toss them in a tiny bit of salt and a tiny bit of white sugar. And uh, those are going to, A, flavor them, and B, uh, drag out some of the juices. Uh, and you're going to want to use those juices after a few minutes and they're being pulled out of their cell structure. That's what's going to become the basis of the salsa base sauce. So I'm going to use uh, some chili. Uh, in this case, I'm going to use some polpano because I think that has a nice rounded flavor uh, more than a, than a jalapeno, which is kind of like mostly bite. Uh, polpanos do have like a nice bit of heat uh, that's not overpowering, but there's a nice fruitiness to it too. Uh, I, a, a small shallot. And I'm going to dice both of those two things up pretty finely together. Uh, once some liquid has come off of the watermelon and the grapefruit, I'm going to pour that off into a saucepan, add a titch more sugar, and uh, vinegar of your choice. I like a rice vinegar, cider vinegar would be fine, don't need a whole lot. I'm just going to bring that up to a boil, and then throw your chili and your shallot into that. You don't have to like cook it any kind of amount of time, you just want that heat, you want it to set up and infuse a little bit. Take it off the heat, let it set. Once it's kind of cooled a bit, pour it over the fruit, bang, in a jar, in the fridge, let it chill down. Um, so that's that's the main component of the dish, which is actually going to be kind of like a nice summery kind of a dish. Uh, however, going back to the Catskills thing, I have to have one more embellishment, and that is, so Catskills are in the borscht belt. I want to throw one more thing on this, give it a little bit of color. So what we're going to do is a little borscht sauce. So basically, um, what I'm going to do with this 
I'm going to have, you don't need much, maybe one or two, depending on the size, beets roasted in their skin. So you kind of take some red beets, either toss them in oil, uh, throw them in a really hot oven, or you can alternately, if you want to speed the process up a little bit, wrap them in tin foil, throw them in the oven. You can cover them in salt and throw them in the oven. You can just, however you want to do it, roast them. Uh, depending on how you uh, rig that up, it'll take more or less time. No big deal. When they're cooked, and the best way to tell if they're cooked is just if you can insert like a like a, a pin or uh, uh, like a trussing rod or something like that, even a toothpick, through them without any resistance, you're good to go. Um, let them cool a little bit. You can even run them underwater. Uh, just enough that you can uh, pull the skin off pretty easily. Your hands are going to get messy. You can wear gloves if you want. I wouldn't worry about it. Um, besides, it looks like you're smeared in, in blood, which is like going to be a pleasant change of pace. So once you have your roasted beets out of the skin, uh, you're going to throw those into a blender. Um, the higher power blender you have, the better. Um, I'm not going to tell anyone to go buy new equipment to do a novelty sauce, but anyway. Uh, put them in there. You're going to want an equal portion of red wine, red wine vinegar, pinch of salt, pinch of black pepper, throw those into a pot, bring them to a boil, take a little bit of fresh horseradish, or if you've got a jar of horseradish in the fridge, that's cool too, throw that in into this boiling mixture, just enough to take the edge off the booze, pour that into the blender with your beets, zip, 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 um, pour that through a sieve, it should be fairly watery, and uh, just basically cook it for a little bit, and then you're going to have this like nice beety, uh, tangy sauce that should go along with the whole thing. And yes, in case you're wondering, this is completely authentic upper uh, 1960s era upstate New York kind of a dish that everyone would have been eating. Just like everyone in the 1960s would have been, you know, listening to Alfie's Apocosta. Um, yeah, you don't get to open your movie by talking about how this is the 60s man before the Beatles man and have Zappacosta on the soundtrack. Anyway, that's the grandest horror of them all. Um, all right, so I'm feeling a little bit emboldened now. I think I can probably slip out of here and see what's going on. I'm assuming everyone's going to be fine next week. I guess, I guess we're doing some kind of, like, roller derby movie. Um, so I'll, I'm looking forward to that. Anyway, Chef Al, out of here. Bye. Well, now I'm half lit and too full to fuck. Story of my life. Now, this is the part of the show where we answer questions from our audience. It's a segment that we normally call Ask the Goat. And we've got some questions that we're going to answer as if this were a normal episode of the show. But what we would love for the rest of the month would be for you to write to us as if we were an advice column called Dear Aunt Goaty. You talking to me? What do you do? What's in the fucking box? Does he look like a bitch? What's the boogeyman? Did you see the memo about this? Is it true that there is a place in a man's head that if you shoot it, it will blow up? Yeah. Uh, we're looking for questions about relationships, breakups, you know, how to deal with wacky family members, questions like that. Think like Dear Abby or Dr. Ruth. Except it's us. <laughs> right. 
So as Cootie rummages through our malevolent mailbag... Rummage, rummage, rummage! Let us remind you that there are three ways you can send your questions in to Dear Aunt Cody. The first way is to join our Facebook page, which is on Facebook, which is also where your face is booked. So book in our group! Just do a search for Kiss the Goat, and after you swear your eternal allegiance to us, you can come in, post memes, talk to us, and leave questions anytime you want. You could also leave us a voicemail on the GOAT line. That's at 865-309-4969. Anytime, day or night, leave us questions, heavy breathing, or just say hi. That's 865-309-4969 for the GOAT line. Finally, you can drop us an email at thegoatofmadness at gmail.com. All right. Our first question is from Rolf Pickler, and it's a doozy. Rolf says, you get your hands on an ancient parchment containing a black magic necromantic spell. Ooh. Ooh. This spell lets you resurrect the dead musician or actor of your choice in exchange for the lives of five living musicians or actors. Who do you resurrect and which five do you sacrifice? You know, I had an answer to this. I had it written down. And then my computer fucked up, so now I don't have that answer anymore. But I think I can reconstruct it, because I, I know at least who I want to bring back. So who do I sacrifice? <laughs> well, Kid Rock's on that list. Yep, that'd be alright. Kid Rock, Fred Durst, <laughs> Ted Nugent, mm-hmm. maybe that goober from Maroon 5. <laughs> Not even, like, I don't even, like, hate him. I just am so indifferent to Maroon 5. Just like, eh, whatever. Scott Bayo. Oh, come on. What did the Bayo ever do to you? Oh, he's a right-wing kind of dude. Oh, is he? Oh, he loves the Trump. Oh. So, those five. <laughs> um, All right. Those five. But in return, in return, we get back Frank Zappa. And we need him now. Oh, wow. That's a good one. I want Alan Rickman back, damn it. That's fair. That's fair. But who are you going to... You got you, you to gotta pay that piper. Um, How about just any of the five random dudes from that fucking Duck Dynasty show? Wow. No, it would have to be all five. You'd have to find five specific... I don't know their names either. Fuck it. I can't tell them apart <laughs> it's a blur of camouflage and facial hair nobody can tell them apart right so just beards and bodies you can't see yeah that's that works for me okay and you get alan rickman back yeah all right that seems worth it yeah and that if, seems worth it i i would even throw in that blonde guy that mincing twat from that chrisley knows best show i don't even know his name chrisley oh they can have Chrisley Todd, too. Todd. It'll be it'll be an extra little added bonus there just because. All right, Todd Chrisley. <laughs> Our next couple of questions come from the Don himself, Don Anelli at the Horror Mafia podcast. Here's the first one. What actor or actress yet to play the devil on screen do you believe would make an awesome choice? Hmm. I think Charlize Theron would make a great Satan. 
that was my original answer. <laughs> we haven't had enough Lady Satans, and she's a badass. So true. that would be That's great. Um, I also think Peter Serafinowitz would make a fantastic Satan. Pete! Pete! Oh, I prick! <laughs> okay, let's see. Don also asks, what are your top three Desert Island Devil movies to watch until the end of time? Desert Island Devil movies. Yes. I, I can't even think of one, much less three. Help me out here, X. Well, no. What, it's not Devil... It's not devil movies on a desert island it's you're stranded on a desert island and you only have three devil movies you can watch oh wow i totally read that wrong okay uh let's see rosemary's baby would be on my list yep number one on mine um let's see what's another one that's really fun satan's cheerleaders would be on my list of course it would. Just because I love it so much. It is funny and campy and good. And shit. One more. So many. Have to narrow it down. Um, I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that. Fire off yours. All right. Rosemary's Baby is number one. Exorcist 3 is number two. <sighs> and Prince of Darkness is number three. Exorcist 3 is so good, but I would have to go with Prince of Darkness, too. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all right. Okay, cool. I think that's good that we both have two movies on our list that we share. That's yeah. less fighting on the desert island. <laughs> we might have to refine that, though, and have three different ones. That way we would have six total different. Ooh, is that really a cheat? I don't even think that's really a cheat. That's just... That's just poor uh, question framing. Court Psyops wants to know, is there a more repugnant goat-like being on film than Ernest Borgnine in The Devil's Reign? <laughs> oh, shit, is there? <laughs> Reese Witherspoon. Wow. I'm sorry. That is my answer. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Your hatred, it makes me giggle. Uh, Rolf <laughs> comes back with a couple more questions. Uh, let's see. He says, with the Satanic Temple claiming Satan and Satanism for good, is it no longer okay to use the term Satanism or Satanic in reference to the delightful evil cults and rituals we enjoy in horror? Do we need to be considerate of modern Satanists and call it devil worship? I think that's why X and I like to make the distinction and call it Hollywood Satanism. Yeah. Because the Satanic Temple these days, man, they are on fucking point and like love it, love the work they're doing. So, yeah, that's kind of what we do is just tack the word Hollywood onto it. Hollywood Satanism, Hollywood witchcraft, even to an extent Hollywood Catholicism. Um, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's probably, you know, the right the right thing to do. It's the same way that 
people confuse pagans and Wiccans. I don't like to be called a Wiccan. Um, Wiccans have a lot of rules that I don't necessarily agree with or heed by any stretch. So you've got to draw a distinction somewhere. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm good with that. Sure, let the devil worshippers have their thing. Let the Satanists have their thing. If you know, you know. There you go. Ralph also wants to know what satanic themed wedding cakes would you order from an evangelical bakery? <laughs> oh well, that could be fun. A satanic themed wedding cake. I think just asking for an upside down cross would be enough to throw any of them into just seizures. Um you know what? That's a that's a good thought, but here's my thing. A lot of cakes are round. All you gotta do is just spin that shit and it's right side up again. <laughs> right, right. Okay, unless you did like a tiered thing and you wanted them, you know, along the sides of the, the different tiers. Oh, oh yeah, I can totally get behind that. That's kinda that's what fine. I was thinking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, wedding, that's fine. Wedding cakes usually have, you know, two or three tiers. Um, I would probably do something that would represent the the unholy union of Satan and uh, Mother Teresa and I would want a big chocolate fist right there on the top that would be lovely I think so yeah <laughs> alright and our second question from Don Anelli is what deceased actor who never played the devil would you have liked to see play the horned one wow Deceased actor who never played the devil, would you have liked to see play the horned one? Hmm. Now I'm going through my mental Rolodex of deceased actors that I like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and me both. Hmm. Hmm. Does Rudy Ray Moore count if he played the devil's son in law? No. Then my answer is Rudy Ray Moore. That would be amazing. Right? I would watch that in a heartbeat. Fuck yeah. <laughs> and of course, it wouldn't be any kind of question and answer session with us if it weren't for Matt Tangen leaving us a voicemail. And it goes something like this. Hey guys, this is Matt the Angry Ginger from the Bad, the Weird, and the Cheesy podcast calling in uh, during my favorite time of year here. Coming up on Halloween, the whole month of dressing up, getting candy, and acting like a jackass. Watch the movies. All right, so my question is for all of you. So the apocalypse has come. You can only save one movie and one book to bring with you to hang out in your bunker. What is your choice? Super hard. I'm not even sure I can make this decision, but I'd like to see your your take on it. Take it easy, guys. Bye. Jesus. In movie or book form? <laughs> no. I'm just like, God damn it. Why don't you ask me to pick a favorite kid? <laughs> One movie. What's funny is both our kids think we already have. Yeah, they do. <laughs> All right. I think if I had to pick one movie, it's got to be one of my go-to, cheer me up, this this is a comfort movie. So I would pick Hot Fuzz. Nice. Because it makes me laugh without yeah, fail, what? even though I've seen it 200 times. And what book would you pick? I would pick 
the Lord of the Rings trilogy set. Okay. You're pushing it. Well, I know. Because it's three actually books. it's three books, but I have one book that has all three books in it. So it is technically one book. One cover to bind them? Yes. Exactly. Because then I get my wizards and hobbitses and orcses, and then I also get my Cornetto movie, that my favorite Cornetto movie, so that would be okay. Well, I would choose Suspiria as my movie. I'm sure this comes as a shock to absolutely fucking no one. (laughs) And let's see, which book would I choose... Well, shit, I mean, if it's the apocalypse and I'm in a bunker, eventually i got to come out, right? So I would choose the Boy Scouts Handbook. Well, aren't you just pragmatic as fuck? You better believe it, sister. <laughs> I need to learn how to, like, dig latrines and make crossbows out of shoestrings and old tin cans and shit. All right, then. That sounds smart. So when we come out of the bunker, we conquer! Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Thank you for the questions, everybody. We'll answer some more next week. Please, please start sending in those relationship advice questions and problems to Dear Aunt Cody, and we'll have some real fun with that. Yeah, they they don't have to be real questions. It's probably better if they are not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, kids, that's going to do it for this episode of Kiss the Goat. Join us next time as we move ahead to level four of hell and stay with us all throughout October as we hurdle towards our Halloween episode. As always, thanks to Bo at Legion for keeping us safe and warm. And thanks to you, the Acolytes, for listening and keeping this hellhound on your trail. The circle is open. Please keep your arms and legs inside until the show comes to a complete stop. Until next time, I'm Cootie. And my name is X. Find, Find your bliss. Your bliss. <laughs> Jesus. Don't ever make me do that again. <laughs> didn't have to keep it. Wouldn't put you through it. You could have swept it from your life, but you wouldn't. Take trois. <clears throat> Take trois? Trois? Twit? Twit? Whip? Do you need a refill, baby? No. Where we would normally run the get your exercise segment, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna titillate. We're, let me try that again. <clears throat> Three, two. Welcome back to October on Kiss the Goat. Are you there? Can you hear me now? Yes. God fucking damn it. What was the last thing you heard out of me? Coughing. How many vape breaks do you have to cut out of every episode? All of them. Oh, <laughs>